Chapter Thirty Eight of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Molly's Prince by Rosa Nushet Carey. Chapter Thirty Eight Molly's Prince and while now she wonders blindly nor the meaning can divine proud turns he round and kindly all of this is thine and mine the lord of burleigh it is all arranged about the picnic exclaimed molly in a joyous voice as she entered their bedroom where waveney was busy packing her own and molly's things it was the last day before their return to town moritz had come down unexpectedly the previous evening and had paid his usual morning visit he had gone back to the hotel to write his letters and had promised to join them on the parade later on what picnic observed waveney absently she was at that moment regarding with great satisfaction the new spring dresses that had just come from the dressmakers they had been bought with her own money and the pretty hats and smart boots and gloves had all been provided from her quarter's salary and although molly had at first refused to allow waveney to spend her money on her she was soon persuaded that any shabbiness on the part of his young fiance would be distressing to mr ingram's feelings you know he likes people to be nicely dressed waveney had remarked rather severely so please don't be foolish molly surely in a pathetic voice you won't begrudge me this last chance of buying clothes for my sweetheart and what could molly do after that except hug her silently in token of yielding what picnic returned molly indignantly why our long-promised visit to brentwood hall of course to see dear old king canute in the picture moritz says he has arranged everything with miss althea i am to have a day's rest at the red house and on thursday we are to go but miss althea is always engaged on thursday objected waveney she has her porch house evening oh yes i know retorted molly she was fairly glowing with excitement and happiness but miss althea says she doesn't mind being absent for once we are to drive down to waterloo and moritz will meet us there and it's only a hour's journey by train moritz says that his sister has promised to join us at luncheon i was just a wee bit frightened when he said that but he assured me she would not be the least formidable she is very tall waveney and very plain at least strangers think her so and she always calls herself ugly but she was sure i should soon love her gwen is the dearest girl in the world he went on and jack just worships her jack compton is her husband you know oh wave 
I do hope she will like me. Of course she will like you, returned Waveney, with comfortable decision. I would not give a fig for Miss Gwen if she had the bad taste not to admire my Molly. Well, I hope it will be a fine day for Moritz's picnic, and then we can wear our new dresses. But, Molly dear, are we really to have luncheon at Brentwood Hall? I thought Moritz said his friend was away, and that only servants were there. Yes, but he says he and Lord Ralston are such close friends that he has carte blanche to do as he likes. He is Viscount Ralston, and he is very rich. Moritz says he has over thirty thousand a year. He seems to have very grand friends, went on Molly, rather thoughtfully. I am afraid they will look down on me, a poor little lame Cinderella. But Waveney scouted this idea with energy. Molly was well-born and well-educated. No one could look down on her. Moritz would not have to blush for her, even if his friends were dukes as well as viscounts. Molly must hold her own, and not be too humble on the subject of her own merits. It was quite evident that Moritz thought her the dearest and sweetest thing in the world, and she ought to be satisfied with that. And then Molly cheered up and forgot her fears, and they packed happily until it was time to go out. When the eventful day arrived, Molly woke Waveney at an unconsciously early hour to inform her that the weather was simply perfect and that they might wear their new dresses without fear of a shower. It was one of those typical May days when nature puts on her dandiest and fairest apparel, when the fresh young green of the foliage seems to feast and rest the eyes. The air was sweet with lilac and may, and the tender blue of the sky was unstained by a single cloud. When Molly came downstairs in her pretty gray dress, with a little spray of pink may at her throat, Althea thought that she matched the day itself. Molly has quite recovered her looks, she said to Doreen. The dear child is a great beauty, and Gwen will be charmed with her. And indeed, as they drove through, there were many admiring glances cast at the pretty, blushing face. Moritz was at the station to meet them. He had a white flower in his buttonhole, and looked jubilant and excited. Perhaps he was a trifle fussy in his attentions. Molly must take his arm, he said. The station was so crowded, and there were a lot of rough people about. Poor Molly felt a little nervous and conscious. It was difficult to adapt her slow, lurching walk to Monsieur Blackie's quick, springy tread. Moritz might be as tender over her infirmity as a mother over some crippled child, but Molly, who was only human, could have wept over her own awkwardness. Perhaps her limping gait had never given her more acute pain than now, 
when ingram was trying so carefully and laboriously to adapt his step to hers molly's cheeks were burning by the time they reached their compartment but when moritz sat down beside her with a fond look and word she forgot her uneasiness and was her own happy self again the journey was a short one when they reached brentwood moritz hurried his party through the little country station before the station-master had an opportunity of accosting him an open barouche with a fine pair of bays was awaiting them when waveney admired them moritz remarked rather complacently that ralston was a good judge of horse flesh and then he asked molly how she would like to drive herself in a low pony carriage with a pair of cream-coloured ponies and molly thinking that he was joking clapped her hands gleefully how delicious that would be she returned but it is very naughty of you to tantalize me in this fashion oh what a dear old village she went on and moritz the people seem to know you for moritz was lifting his hat every instant in response to some greeting oh they are always civil to people who are staying at the hall returned ingram evasively but at that moment he met althea's amused glance very well done my lord she said under her breath and then she shook her head at him they were just turning in at some open gates and before them was a shady avenue at the end some more gates and finely wrought flemish work admitted them to the sunny gardens and terrace while before them stood the grand old hall with its gray walls and quaint gables and oriel windows embroidered in ivy and creepers it is a lovely old place murmured althea but molly and waveney were speechless with admiration to their eyes it looked like an enchanted palace surrounded by shimmering green lawns the great door was wide open as though to receive them but there was no sign of human life when the carriage had driven by moritz took molly's hand and led her across the wide hall with its pillars and grand oak carvings its mighty fireplace and walls covered with curious weapons with here and there a stag's antlers or the head of a grinning leopard they only paused for a moment to admire the great stone staircase that was broad enough for a dozen men to walk abreast one of the ralstons in a mad frolic had once ridden his gallant grey up to the very top of the staircase i'm going to show you everything observed ingram as they walked down the softly carpeted corridor we call this the zoo he continued for if you look at the pictures molly you will see they are mostly of animals there are some good proof engravings of landseer and the sculpture is rather fine but the most beautiful groups are in the picture gallery upstairs the fifth viscount ralston was a connoisseur of art 
and spent a good deal of his income in pictures and sculptures it was he who brought the flemish gates from belgium they are considered very fine and are always pointed out to visitors molly began to feel a little breathless she wanted to linger in every room but moritz who had his work cut out for him hurried her on they went through the big dining-room which was large enough for a banqueting hall and into a smaller one where the table was already laid for luncheon and then into the library and morning-room when molly asked with naive curiosity if there were no drawing-room moritz laughed and told her to wait these are ralston's private quarters he said ushering her into a cosy sitting-room fitted up for a gentleman's use but when molly would have investigated with girlish curiosity the mass of papers on the writing-table he quietly took her arm and marched her into the billiard-room adjoining ralston would not like us to look at his papers he said gravely he is an untidy fellow and his writing-table is always in confusion is lord ralston married asked molly presently as they went slowly up the stone staircase althea who overheard her was obliged to pause she was shaking with suppressed mirth but waveney was far too busily engaged in admiring a painted window to notice her merriment ingram was quite equal to the occasion he is not married yet dear he returned quickly but he does not expect to be a bachelor much longer shall i show you the rooms that he has chosen for his future wife or shall we go to the picture gallery but molly's excitement was too great for fatigue and she at once desired to see lady ralston's rooms to molly's inexperienced eyes they were grand enough for the queen she was almost indignant when moritz exclaimed that the boudoir and dressing-room were to be refurnished it was shameful extravagance she repeated more than once what did it matter if the furniture was a little old-fashioned molly was quite eloquent on the subject as she stood in the wide bay window of the boudoir it was a charming window molly looked straight down the avenue to the great bronze gates the rooks were cawing in the elms some tame pheasants were pluming themselves on the lawn below and a wicked-looking jackdaw was strutting up and down the terrace the beds were full of spring flowers oh how perfect it all is sighed molly and then she said in quite a decided tone i do think it will be wicked for lord ralston to refurnish this room there gwen do you hear that exclaimed moritz and molly turned hastily around a tall young lady was standing in the doorway watching her she was quite young but molly thought she had never seen any one so tall and certainly it was her opinion that first moment that mrs john compton was the plainest person she had ever seen 
molly who was a great admirer of beauty felt a sort of shock at the sight of gwen's frank ugliness her small greenish-blue eyes crinkling up with amusement the bluntness of her features and her wide mouth gave molly a pang she had yet to find out her redeeming points her beautiful figure the rich brown hair and pleasantly modulated voice moritz is this my dear new sister asked gwen with a smile so bright and warm that it quite transfigured her plain face and then with frank kindness she put her arms round molly and kissed her molly you must be very good to me she went on and now there were tears in her eyes moritz is my only brother and we have been everything to each other have we not old boy and gwen pinched his ear playfully and then greeted waveney and her cousin althea in the warmest fashion there was a little hubbub of talking and laughter and then moritz drew molly's arm through his and led her away probably gwen had had her orders for instead of following them she made room for waveney on the wide window seat there is something moritz wishes me to tell you she said quietly and that he is telling your sister now however important moritz's communication might be it had to be deferred until molly had exhausted her whole vocabulary of admiring terms at the sight of the noble gallery it was a drawing-room and ballroom as well as a picture gallery three great fireplaces with their cosy environment of luxurious lounges and easy chairs gave warmth to the whole room and on the other side were windows with deep recesses every one forming separate cosy nooks in one was a low tea-table and a circle of easy chairs another was fitted with an inlaid writing-table and cabinet a third contained only a low velvet divan it was in this last recess that moritz at last contrived to detain molly dear molly he said gently but firmly there will be plenty of time to look at the pictures and sculpture after luncheon but i want you to listen to me a moment i have to ask your forgiveness for a little deception moritz's face was so grave that molly regarded him with astonishment my forgiveness are you joking moritz no darling i am quite serious i have brought you here under false pretenses but i will tell you all about it by and by dearest this is your future home it is here that you and i are to spend our lives together moritz ingram and viscount ralston are one and the same person molly's face grew white the little hand he held trembled with emotion oh no not really she gasped yes really my sweet one but i cannot have you look so pale and frightened then as molly glanced shyly at him he caught her suddenly to his breast my little blessing he whispered 
you loved your old friend monsieur blackie but you will not tell me now i hope that ralston is to be less dear to you no no stammered molly but i cannot understand oh moritz why did you do it i will tell you dear he returned quietly you know at one time gwen and i were very poor we lived in a poky little house that we called the tin shanty you shall see it some day and i think you will own that tin cleveland terrace is a mansion compared with it we were almost at the end of our tether when the death of a cousin made me viscount ralston and master of brentwood hall and thirty thousand a year oh moritz and molly shivered and hid her face i was a lucky fellow was i not dear and i was truly thankful for my good things i was always very sociable and fond of society of my fellow creatures and when gwen married i led rather a gay life but after a time i got disgusted mothers with marriageable daughters made a dead set at me before the season was over i could have had my pick of half a dozen beauties viscount ralston with his thirty thousand a year was considered a desirable parti molly dear it fairly sickened me you know i was an idealist and i never could make up my mind to move in the ordinary groove like other people and i registered a mental vow that unless i was loved for myself i would never marry when i first met my little samaritan i had no wish to disclose my title but it was a mere freak at first to remain incognito until until i saw you my darling oh molly do you remember that day and how i heard you singing and discovered cinderella sitting on the hearth shall i tell you a secret dear when i left the house that day i said to myself i will move heaven and earth to win that girl for my wife oh moritz did you really yes love and then and there i decided to be mr ingram i had no difficulty in preserving my incognito i bound over my cousins to secrecy it was only her illness that complicated matters i found then that it was necessary to take your father and noel into confidence but you and waveney were to be kept in ignorance when is telling her at this present moment but now molly i have finished my confession and i only want to hear from your lips that monsieur blackie is forgiven there is nothing to forgive she faltered i think i am glad that i did not know but oh moritz there is one thing that makes me sorry and now there was a painful flush on molly's cheek you know what i mean i wish for your sake that i was not lame my poor little darling he returned compassionately but i think i love you all the more for your helplessness thank heaven my wife will never have occasion to tire herself 
the cream-colored ponies are in the stable molly and when we are married i mean to give you riding lessons and then for very joy and gratitude molly burst into a flood of happy tears oh it is too much too much she sobbed i do not deserve such happiness moritz you must teach me everything i want to be worthy of this lovely home and you and then shyly but with exquisite grace she lifted the kind hand to her lips end of chapter thirty eight recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c